Good evening. It's good to see everyone here in attendance this evening. We're thankful for everyone's presence. Those who are visiting, who made it a point to come out here on a Tuesday evening to assemble with us, to worship God together, to study from his word. It's encouraging to us. We're thankful that you're here. The members also, and then some of you who, because of health problems, have not been able to be out yet until this evening. We're especially glad to have you and appreciate the opportunity to be here to present a lesson from the Word of God here this evening. And I hope that what we have to talk about will be helpful to each one of us. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. We're going to be looking at a verse here as the basis for our lesson this morning, or this evening, excuse me. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1 the wise man said, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. When Solomon here talks about this good name, he's talking about one's reputation, what we are known for. Strong's defines this word as a mark or memorial of individuality. By implication, it means honor and authority and character. This is what people know about us or what they think about us when they hear our name, when they hear who we are, when they think about how we have conducted ourselves. They're going to think about our character. They're going to think about what we have done. This is what we are known for. What should we be known for? When others think about us, what is it that they should be thinking? And what do we need to do in order to have a good name? That's what we're going to talk about here in our lesson this evening. Now, Solomon here in this verse, he makes a comparison between this good name and great wealth. A good name is more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. So it draws a contrast between these two. And if we can only have one of these, well, he says the better one to have is the good name. But why does Solomon make this comparison? Why did he say that the good name is more to be desired than great wealth or favor than silver or gold? Why did he make that comparison? It's true that both of those are valuable. A good name, as we're going to see, is valuable and everyone recognizes that silver and gold and wealth, that is valuable. But it's more than just that. It's more than just the fact that both of them have value and the good name is more valuable. The reason why he makes that comparison is because both of these, our name or our reputation and great wealth or silver and gold, both of those are obtained and maintained and retained in the same way. Meaning we gain both of these, we, we manage both of these, and we hold on to both of these in the same way. And we're going to see a parallel here between these, these different ideas that he compares, the good name and the great wealth. We're going to see how these fit together and how they both are parallel to one another as we understand how we might gain wealth, we can take those same principles and focus on the more important aspect that he's talking about with the reputation that we have, the name that we have. How is it that we can go about accumulating great wealth? 
I promise you this is not a financial advice seminar or anything like that, but there are biblical principles that do instruct us about how we obtain great wealth. And for our purposes this evening, we're not going to talk about those who had a wealthy father or grandfather or some other family member who left them riches and left them some great inheritance. We're not going to be talking about that as the way for one who has great wealth. We're also not going to talk about all of the negative things that one might do, the cheating others and stealing and corruption and all that type of thing. Some people become wealthy by doing that. That's not what we're looking at here. How would we obtain or how would someone obtain wealth in an honorable way, in a way that is according to biblical principles? How would one obtain wealth? Well, one, he has to be willing to work. It is necessary for us to be willing to work. Paul talked about this over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, where he said in that passage that if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Now, of course, as he says that, we sometimes are careful to make the distinction that he's not saying those who are unable to work. There are some who are not able to work, and then there are other ways to provide for them and for them to be cared for. But for those who are able-bodied, we have to be willing to work. And when we work, that leads to, leads to income. It leads to a certain degree of wealth, whether we become wealthy by this world's standards or not. That's another question. But work does lead to earning wages from that work. In Proverbs 14 and verse 23, it says, In all labor there is profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. If we are willing to work, and we do work, that does lead to profit. It does lead to earning wages from that work. But if we just simply stand around and talk about, well, what we ought to do, but we don't actually put any work in in doing that, the wise man said there that that just leads to poverty. We have to be willing to work. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18 that the laborer is worthy of his wages. When one works, he earns wages for what he does. And that's a basic biblical principle that we typically see carried out also in the world around us. But if we're going to have great wealth, what would we also have to do? We have to do work that is profitable. Over in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 19, the wise men said in that passage, he who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. It's one thing to be willing to work and willing to work hard, but we can work hard at something that no one will pay us for doing, or we can work hard at something that is not really worthwhile and doesn't really accomplish anything. If you have a farmer, he talks here in this verse about the one who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty and plenty. Let's say you have a farmer, and as he has his field, what he does is he's going to till his land, he's going to plant the seeds, he's going to harvest them, he's going to receive that reward from his labor. Down the road you have another farmer who has... Same size land that, that the first farmer has. But instead of tilling his land and planting the seed and deciding he's going to do that, instead 
he thinks, you know, there could be buried treasure somewhere out in this field. And so what I'm going to do, instead of spending all of my time tilling the land and planting the seed and harvesting all that, I'm going to dig for buried treasure. And he spends all of his time, he spends the entire season digging for buried treasure. Never finds any. He may have worked just as hard as the first farmer. In fact, you could even say that it's possible he would have worked harder than the other one. He may have been more diligent thinking that there's this going to be this great payday for him once he finds this buried treasure, but he never finds any buried treasure. He worked. He was willing to do that, but he was following, as the wise man said there, empty pursuits. It wasn't real. It wasn't something that was that would provide any sort of real reward. There's no reason to believe that there's buried treasure somewhere in his field other than thinking that, well, maybe it's there, so I'm going to look for it. We have to be willing to work. We have to be willing to work hard, but we have to do work that is profitable. This is part of what the wise man talked about over in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 21, where he says that when there is a wise man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. Labor with wisdom and knowledge and skill. What is more profitable? What is going to be more worthwhile? If you're a farmer and you have a field, what are you going to do with it? Till the land, plant the seed, harvest the crops as they come in, or spend all your time digging for buried treasure. One is laboring with wisdom, and the other is following worthless or empty pursuits, which will lead to nothing but poverty. So if we're going to have wealth, we have to be willing to work. We have to do work that is profitable. And then as we earn a living, as we earn wealth, we are not to squander our wealth. We have the parable of the prodigal son over in Luke chapter 15, and this was what he did. He started out, as Jesus explained this parable, the bad attitude that he had toward his father, where he demanded that the fa his father give him his portion of the inheritance, even though his father was still living. In essence, he was telling his father that, I don't want to wait for you to pass away. I want the inheritance now. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, the man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. He made the accommodation for him. He didn't have to do that. But he did divide his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now we had spent everything. A severe famine occurred in the, in the country. And he began to be impoverished. And so then he goes and hires himself out and he's still in a miserable condition. He's went wishing that he could just feed himself with the food that he's feeding to these pigs. He had nothing. He wasted everything. He had the inheritance that fell to him. Half of the wealth of his father. But he squandered all of that. He wasted all of that. We are to be mindful of how we use the blessings that God gives us. Whatever we have in this life, we have because God has blessed us with those things. And we need to understand that as we 
have these things. We've been blessed with whatever wealth we have, whether it's little or much. It is from God. That's why the wise man said in Proverbs 13 and verses 9 and 10, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of your produce. So your bars will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Remember the Lord. Remember him. He is the one who has blessed you. So honor him with your wealth. The way that you do that, or one of the ways that you do that, is by not squandering what you have been blessed with. The interesting passage over in Philipp, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, it says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. A good man will leave an inheritance to his children's children or to his grandchildren. Now, when we read the book of Proverbs, we need to understand that these are general principles, wise sayings. He's not saying that if someone is poor and has nothing to leave to his children or even his grandchildren, that he must not be a good man. That's not the point of that passage. But instead, what would someone have to do if they were blessed with wealth? What would they have to do to leave an inheritance to their children's children? Well, they have to, as we've talked about, be willing to work, work hard, do work that is profitable, hold on to their wealth, meaning that they will be good stewards of what they have, and they will have a selfless attitude about this where they are looking forward to leaving this to not just their children, but also to their grandchildren. He's talking about the character of one who would do this. Again, not everyone is in, a, is in a position to leave an inheritance to their children or to their grandchildren. But the character traits that would allow one to do that are the character traits that we all need to have. Be hardworking, be good stewards, be selfless, and look out for others. Be looking to provide for others. So if we're going to have wealth in this life, we cannot squander what we have. And if we're going to have wealth, we need to invest wisely. Jesus used this principle as he gave the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, where you had the master who left to go on a journey and left his, his money with three of his servants that they would manage that while he was away. These were described as different amounts of money, different level, different talents that he gave to them. And they all did something with them. You have the one who received the five talents. He went out and he traded with them and he got five more talents. You have the one who was given the two talents and he also doubled the master's money. He received two more talents. You have the one who received the one talent. He did nothing with it. He buried it in the ground and returned it to his master. When he returned and said, well, you've received what you have or what you gave me. You've received it back. The master, though, was not happy with him. He said in verse 27, You ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received it back with interest. Maybe he wouldn't have doubled the money like the other two servants did, but he at least could have done something. He's talking about investing there, that we can invest our wealth that we have in order to grow it. Some people have 401Ks. Some people have different types of investments. But if someone is going to have great wealth, it's going to be by a combination of these things. By being willing to work, doing work that is profitable, not squandering their wealth, and investing wisely. Now, what we need to 
talk about for the remainder of this lesson is really the most important thing. What is more important than having great wealth? It's having a good name. So what we want to think about is that we look at this parallel. How can we have a good name? Well, it starts out with being willing to work for it. Our reputation is based upon what we do. It's based upon our actions. Henry Ford said that you can't build a reputation on what you are going to do. We might intend all sorts of different things, but it really doesn't mean anything. People aren't going to remember you for what you say you're going to do, but for what you actually do. The reason why I bring up that quote is not because Henry Ford is some brilliant person. We've all likely heard of him. But the reason why I bring up his quote is because it is a biblical principle. It's found in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6, where the wise man says here, Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? There are many people who will say, that, Well, yes, I'll do this, and yes, I'll do that, and, and make all sorts of promises. But how many carry out those promises? How many see through, see through to the end and do what they say they're going to do? We have to show that we are willing to keep our word, that we are willing to make the sacrifices necessary to do what we said we were going to do. If we're going to have a good name, if we're going to have this reputation, we need to work for it. Many people will say they will do this, but there's a difference between saying it and doing it. Principle in 1 John 3 and verse 18, where John said, let us love not with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. It's not enough just to say that, well, I love others or I love the Lord. You have to do that in deed and truth. The same way, it's not enough just to say, well, I'm going to do this. You can count on me to do this. Whether it's, well, I'm going to help with, with those who are in need. I'm going to be at the assemblies of the church any, every time I can be there. Whatever it is, it's one thing to say that. And it's another thing to, to do that. If we're going to have a good name, we need to be willing to work for it and put in the effort. At the same time, if we're going to have a good name, we need to make sure that we're doing good work. Just as it's not enough for a farmer to go out and just dig for buried treasure in his field, he needs to do work that is actually profitable, that is going to yield some result. We need to make sure that we are not just doing anything, but we are doing good work. What do people see in us when we interact with others? Those people who are around us, whether they are our brethren here, our neighbors, our co-workers, other students at school, what do they see in us? What work do they see us doing? Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, he said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do they see that in us? Do they see our good works? Or do they just see us busy doing anything and everything, but we're not really doing what's good? 
There are a lot of people who are busy doing things that are wrong. Hopefully they don't see that in us. Do they see us engaged in good works? And as we think about doing good works, we need to be careful that we define that in the right way. The world may have all sorts of different ideas and definitions of what would, what they would call a good work, especially when we look at the religious world as they will label any number of things a good work. But if you look over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives us a definition of what we can label as a good work or a good deed. He said in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, or your translation you're reading from may have the word complete or perfect. Man of God may be adequate, may be complete, may be perfect, equipped for every good work. The scriptures show us what is good and show us what is right. And so we're not to look and see, well, what does the religious world around us, what are they doing that they will label as good works? And let's be busy doing those things. Or what does the world around us think is a good work? And let's be busy doing those things individually or collectively as a church. We could busy ourselves doing all sorts of things that are not what the Lord expects us to do, are not what he has authorized us to do. The scriptures equip us for every good work, which means that if we don't have instructions or commands or authority in the word of God to do whatever work it is that we're considering, if that's not there, then we can't label it as a good work. So if we're going to have a good name, we need to be willing to work for it. We need to put in the effort. But we also need to make sure that we are doing good work and make sure that we are looking to the Word of God to define what those good works are. Another thing we need to do, just as to have great wealth, we need to be good stewards of that wealth. We need to be a good steward of our reputation. In other words, we are not to do something that would forfeit our reputation. We could undo years of a positive example that we've been trying to set before others. We can undo years of that through one sin. One thing that we do can shatter all of that. Benjamin Franklin said that it takes many good deeds to build a reputation and only one bad one to lose it. We can spend our life trying to set the example of a Christian, to let our light shine before men in such a way that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We can spend years doing that, and we can, through a, through a sin that is public and visible, a time where we are weak and we give into temptation, we can ruin all of that. We can always be forgiven. We know that as Christians. 1 John 1 and verse 9, John says that if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and can, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No matter what we do, 
God is always willing to forgive us. But it can take a while before others trust us. And others don't think about or associate us with that sin, whatever it might be. God can forgive us, but sometimes others are slower to do that. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul talked about consequences of losing his reputation and the damage that it would cause to the gospel. He said in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 3, giving no cause for offense in anything. He did not want to do anything that would offend others, that would cause others to think poorly of him because of some action, some sin that he committed. And it wasn't just because, well, I, I'm concerned about what people think of me. He said, so that the ministry will not be discredited. We can not only ruin our own reputation, but we can also cause others to look at the gospel, to look at the church in a negative light because of what we do. If we want to have a good name, we need to watch our actions and not forfeit our reputation through one momentary indiscretion, some sin that we commit, in a, whether it's a moment of weakness or whatever the reason is, we need to especially guard ourselves so that we do not cause others to look at us and say, well, we can't, they're not really a genuine Christian, or that person's not really someone that we can trust or that we can listen to, or that church that they go to, that we don't need to go over there because if someone like that can be, be there, then well, I don't want to have anything to do with that church. Let's be careful not to forfeit our reputation. Just as we need to be good stewards of the blessings that we have in this life and the wealth or riches we may have accumulated, we need to be a good steward of our reputation and not squander it in the way it is so easily done by many in the world and some in the church as well. And how else do we have a good name? We talked about how to have great wealth. You need to invest wisely to grow your wealth. And that's something that typically is something that builds over time. There are very few get-rich-quick schemes that are actually legitimate and actually work. Usually it's a very few people who get rich and everyone else just loses money trying to follow after those few who, whatever scheme it was that that worked for. Most of the time when we invest, it's something that is slow and your wealth builds over time. If we're going to have a good name, we need to recognize that this is something that goes slow and is something that has to build over time. So we have to be consistent throughout our lifetime. You think about the qualifications of elders in the church, 1 Timothy chapter 3. One of these qualifications for those who would be elders in the Lord's church, it says in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 7, that he must have a good reputation. And notice, it doesn't just say among those who are the brethren, but it says a good reputation with those outside of the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. He needs to be seen as someone who is of high character and high morals. 
Now, this doesn't mean that false accusations by those who are outside the church can disqualify someone, but what it does mean is that he needs to show himself among brethren and those in the world of someone who is honorable and someone who is trustworthy and someone who is looking at those characteristics and the qualifications for elders. He exhibits all of those things. So he should have a good reputation, not only with those who are inside the church, but also outside the church. Well, how could he get that reputation? Well, it doesn't happen overnight. This happens over years of consistently doing good, of consistently keeping his character what it ought to be. He must be known for doing good and for being good. Same principle applies for us, whether we might ever serve as an elder in the church or not. One of the reasons why these qualifications are given is because the elders are modeling this for all of the Christians in the congregation. If an elder is to be of good reputation with those who are outside of the church, he's also showing that as an example for those in the church, that they need to show that same example to those who are outside of the church. They need to have a good reputation. This, this requires consistency. This requires us, us to continue to show this good behavior and this good character. Now, again, we can always, if we sin, if we stumble, we can always be forgiven. But a good name, this reputation that we're talking about here, it takes time to build that. And if we do sin, it takes time to rebuild that. Now, it can be rebuilt. Or if we are, if we're not known for doing what is good to begin with, we can build this reputation. And that's what we're called to do. That's why we are talking about this this evening, because this is for each one of us that we can each be working to build this reputation among our brethren and those who are outside in the world, building this reputation. But we need to be committed to consistently doing this over time, developing this good name that we are called to have. So as we think about this comparison, again, the wise man said in Proverbs 22 and verse 1, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. The value of wealth is something that is universally recognized. Everyone, those who are in the world, they recognize that these things are valuable. Silver and gold are, are, are things that they wish they had or wish they had more of. They're working towards or, or hoping to, to get more of that. That's understandable why people put a value on these things because it is worth something. But as Christians, we need to understand that a good name is far more valuable than any wealth we could hope to gain in this life. So we need to be working to do what is necessary to build and to keep our reputation. And not just so others will view us a certain way, but so that we can be approved to God. And we can also, as we read in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 3, we don't want to cause any offense in anything. We want others to see Christ in us. So they see us as ones that they can turn to us when they have questions. We talked about this in lessons already. 
that we are ones that can show them the way, can show them what the truth is. We are ones that can invite them to come to church services because they trust us. And they recognize that we are genuinely trying to do what is right. We need to be working on building this reputation. So if you're here this evening and you are a Christian, but you realize that you haven't been as consistent as you should be in doing the will of the Lord, or you've allowed sin into your life, and maybe it's a sin that's private and no one knows about, you need to repent of that. Maybe it's a sin that's public that others know about and is causing you to lose influence for good. Well, that's still a sin that you need to repent of. You need to turn from that. You need to pray to God and ask him for forgiveness. could also be that you are here and are not yet a Christian. You might have a good reputation with those who are in the world. And there is value to that. But it's more important what God thinks of us and that we are building a good name according to what his word teaches. So if you are here and are not yet a Christian, but you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're willing to repent and turn from your sins, to confess your faith. You could be baptized to have your sins washed away. And we are ready to help you to do that this evening. But if you're subject to the invitation anyway, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.